Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I am proud to announce that Food Pharmacy, one of the biggest health brands in Sweden, is now launching its highly acclaimed blog as well as books and podcasts in English. Food Pharmacy is eager to take its award-winning Scandinavian concept and share it with the rest of the world and to contribute to the fight against the global burden of lifestyle-related diseases. In 2014, Lina Nertby and Mia Klasa started Food Pharmacy, embarking on a long, sometimes meandering, often magical journey towards their goal of improving public health. Along the way, they've spoken with a variety of experts and professionals in various fields related to health and lifestyle. In this podcast series, you'll meet a few of them. Be a part of the journey. This is The Food Pharmacy Show. Dear Mia. I was just about to say dear Lina. Oh, dear Lina. Great That's, minds think alike. I'm so excited today. Mm-hmm. Because I actually tried our new fresh facial cream. The cleansing cream and the moisturizer, right? Yes. Oh, me too. What did you think? I love them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most unique thing with these are that they are... Fresh. Fresh. And you have them in your fridge. Yeah. And we have been given these creams by no less than Johanna Gilbro. And who is Johanna Gilbro? She's a PhD and an award-winning skin scientist and the writer of the best-selling book, The Scandinavian Skincare Bible. Yeah. And Johanna has more than 15 years of experience in experimental dermatology and also clinical research and skincare product development. Mm. And what we learned from Johanna that you will also learn if you keep on listening to this podcast. Hopefully you do. Is that even though the skincare industry is an industry where we as consumer are willing to pay billions of dollars mm. Still, if we knew more about how our biggest organ, the skin, Mm. works, we would have spent less money on creams and instead focused more, let me guess, on what you eat. Exactly. (gasps) I know. And as Johanna Gilbro writes on the backside cover, focus a bit more on having carrots, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. Carrots are full of carotene, right? Yeah. Mm. No, but I am a living proof of that. You say living proof. Yeah, you say living Mm. proof. I'm a living proof of that because I've tried, I mean, I've been a skincare junkie. And I I got that from my mother because Mm. she spent so much money on skincare too. She had a really nice skin. I was influenced by her. And 
started to buy different products, different like oils, moisturizers, serums, like everything you can find in the store. But I didn't have a nice skin. I mean, this is something that we have talked about a lot, mm. but the listeners, mm. they don't know. No. I mean, at this time, you were very unhealthy. I was. I had absolutely no greens, no veggies, no fibers, way too much sugar, way too much alcohol, too little sleep, too much stress, too little exercise. I mean, everything was upside down in my life. We are talking about... 20 years ago, 15 years ago, also when I had small kids, I didn't take care of myself at all. Mm. And you could tell from my skin. Mm. It wasn't glowing, Lina. It wasn't glowing at all. No. But what do you think about my skin today? This is the interesting part. You have an amazing skin. I do have an amazing skin. You're 43 Mm. and your skin looks fresher than when you were... 20. Yeah, I know. And it's not because of my moisturizer or my expensive serum. Because you have actually stopped using all those things I now. I have, yeah. more or less. Yeah. And still you have this wonderful skin. Yeah. Yeah. Because of my healthy lifestyle. Mm. And this is not a joke. And I'm just, I just have to tell you that this is actually what happened. Mm. I got such a nice skin from uh, changing my eating habits, primarily, Mm. I would say, since I started to eat more greens, more fibers, less sugar, like five years, five, six years ago. Mm. Talking about food and skin, it's interesting that the gut and the skin have a constant connection via the bloodstream. So Mm. it's not strange that what you eat will affect how your skin are perceived. Hmm, Interesting. Mm. Before we continue with the interview, can we just spend like one minute on the topic wrinkles? Yeah. Because I think we are focusing way too much on wrinkles. And I don't remember where and I don't remember when, but at one point in somewhere... I read a quote from someone, because my memory loss is like severe at the moment. (laughs) You don't get a good memory by having a lot of veggies. No, 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 but a great skin. (laughs) But what I remember from this quote, because I don't even remember the quote, just the essence of it, (laughs) was that she totally changed the uh, the way of looking at wrinkles because she said, no, I'm not stressed up at all. Uh, of getting more wrinkles actually i'm thankful for every wrinkle i get because that means i'm alive i mean a perfect skin isn't at all the same thing as no wrinkles because for me wrinkles are equals beauty it tells a story yes i agree Mm. now we're ready for johanna gilbro yeah we are So welcome to the Food Pharmacy Show, Johanna Gilbro. Thank you very much. I'm so honored to have you here. Thank you so much. Likewise, very nice to be here. 
you are a skin scientist and the most cited writer within the Journal of International Cosmetic Science. How did your interest in skin start? Well, um, I actually I was actually diagnosed with a skin disorder, a skin disease called vitiligo when I was about three years of age. And uh, so first of all, then what is vitiligo? Well, vitiligo is uh, a deep pigmentation disorder where you get white patches on your skin because the pigment cell, the melanocyte uh, is dysfunctional. So it can't push out the melanin or pigment to the surrounding skin. So that's why you get uh, white patches on your skin. And there are different types of it, like where I think most people have seen this disorder, especially maybe on a colleague or a friend or someone outside in the summer, for example. I I actually know uh, quite a few people who All has right. yeah friends or uh, yeah friends, and uh, I I have actually three children in my uh, surrounding who okay yeah who has it. And and are they bothered about the vitiligo? Yes, they yes, are. They are. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> because when I was a child, I um, I actually liked my vitiligo. So uh, now, for example, when I we will come to that, I suppose. But when I worked more with vitiligo in my professional life, I've seen so many parents that are devastated about uh, their kids getting this disease because oh, the parents so, are yeah, devastated. Exactly. Yeah. So and then they are transferring their anxiety upon upon their kids. And if I compare for example to my parents, they were fantastic with this because they they were just promoting this as being something unique and cute and uh, so that was the kind of feeling about uh, the patches that I got with me when I was a child. So, so you felt unique. Yeah, yeah. I felt very unique, and I actually compared myself uh, to you know the spotted dog Dalmantiner, mm-hmm. uh, which was my favorite dog at that time. But then during my teenage years, <clears throat> I thought it was quite uh, yeah troublesome to have vitiligo. Mm. So why? Because I think most people feel that that when you're a teenager, you you don't want to be unique. You want to be exactly the same as everyone else. And uh, I was the same, so I started to cover up. And at that time, I also started to get a lot of it like on my face. Mm. And that's uh, harder to cover. Yeah, up. exactly. So, I mean... On the body, you can always cover up with clothes, but then I I started to use makeup and the makeup, I was quite, um, which I think most people with vitiligo feel that uh, you you maybe avoid swimming and this kind of things because uh, then the makeup gets destroyed in the pool and stuff like that. So, uh, So during my, let's say from 17 to... In my 20s, I thought it was really, really tough. And that is when I started to read scientific articles and I read everything that was published at that time about vitiligo. So already when I was like 17, 18, I I had, uh, you know, I knew about the melanocyte. I knew what uh, what they thought was uh, the problem with LIGO and and already then I started to try everything that was on the market, both, you know, already then it was uh, online sales of different kind of uh, 
creams, cosmetic creams that uh, with big promises that that, that didn't work. work. I was about to say, or <laughs> no. did they? No, that had no effect, mm. and uh, and also the medications. I went to several dermatologists, and I tried everything from corticosteroids to UVB therapy when you are like you're standing in front of a sunbed, and mm. um, and I tried. I I was even one of the first patients who tried a transplantation of healthy mm, skin wow. cells yeah to um to the patches so and that also didn't work so nothing worked for me and and how did that affect you did you get more and more uh, worried about your sickness yeah i think so i, I got at that time i think i got a bit obsessed to mm. be honest mm. So so that was, you know, and I also, I think that is why I became a scientist also because I have very easy to really get very catched up on things. Mm. So if I'm interested in something, I get super interested mm. and that accounts with everything. So um, if I'm like... So you're like the perfect scientist then? <laughs> in one way, mm. because of that, but in one way not because I don't have the patience enough. I want to... Mm. To have quick results, mm. and that doesn't always work. No. So, uh, so in one way, I'm a good scientist. Mm. So then you actually started to uh, study not only uh, on your uh, spare time, but also you started to uh, study uh, science and skincare. Yeah? yeah, exactly. So then I um, started to to study pharmacy school. Mm. In Uppsala, and uh, I was very interested in. I, I was kind of choosing between pharmacy or a medical doctor, and I chose pharmacy because I was very interested in drug development then, mm. uh, and also drug de- development within dermatology. Mm. So, uh, so then when it was time for us to do our master thesis, I actually went to to England, or I contacted all the groups in the world that was working with LIGO. So it was one in Italy, one in uh, England, one in the US, one in Japan. I wrote emails and to all of them. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> and it was one uh, professor that answered uh, on this email and it was Professor Schallreuter, Professor Karen Schallreuter. She's a fantastic woman. Uh, she is uh, my role model. So uh, she was, she's a dermatologist and a scientist. And at first she was working in the clinic of Minnesota, the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's German from, from the beginning. And then she moved on to, to Minnesota, working on melanoma. And then she found... Oh, you mean like cancer? Exactly, mm-hmm. so skin cancer. Mm-hmm. And then she found that uh, when the melanoma is treated... Mm. Uh, you very often get a white patch around melanoma. Mm, like vitiligo almost. Exactly. So mm. then she started to, to work more with LIGO or, or she wanted to know what kind of compounds is it in these white patches because mm. it seems to actually destroy the melanocyte, mm. which is a good thing in melanoma, but not a good thing when you have normal skin and you have vitiligo. Mm. So it's the same kind of mechanism. And then she found that uh, in uh, these compounds that you have in these white patches that mm. are destroying the melanocyte, that is the same type of compounds that you can find in certain butterflies. Mm, wow. And 
in butterflies, it's it's there to uh, first of all to light it up, light the butterflies up in the dark. Mm. So you have this fluorescent color, which mm. you can always also see in with Laguna skin. And that's the same if a person. You taught me that once. If a person with vitiligo goes to a disco, yeah, in the night, it yes. lights up the the spots exactly. Yeah. And that is also very. So many vitiligo patients have. Yeah, it, it's quite hard to go into disco because that is when you really, mm. you, it lightens up dramatically. So you can see it a lot. And it even, even if you have covered up with makeup, it sometimes lights through. Oh. So, uh, so that is these uh, compounds which are called the tearings. Mm. And uh, in the butterflies, they actually also use these compounds to attract the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. so it's it's quite a very interesting story so in one way this is what I you know what I think it's it's so amazing with Vitilago in a way that it's just a, in one way it's just a cosmetic difference mm. it's exactly like we have you know dogs with white patches yeah yeah exactly or so why would it be anything that would be uh, disturbing in one way is only a different kind of uh, feature. I'm thinking about, I mean, there is a huge supermodel yeah. and uh, she has vitiligo. And um, my friend whose daughter has vitiligo mm. showed me this person and she said, This person, she has helped my daughter so much. Yeah. Because uh, she is really proud of her. It's illegal. And uh, she, I mean, she has like millions maybe of followers on yeah. Instagram. So, uh, yes, it's, yeah, just a, it's just a mindset, I think. Exactly. Mm. And and this, we can discuss, I mean, we can talk about this for hours, I think, because, uh, I mean, Win Harlow, this model uh, from Canada, she... Uh, she carries her skin and her with Lego with exactly what you're saying, with such a pride, proud. Mm. And I think that this is something to kind of uh, think about, not only when you have it Lego, but any kind of imperfection, so mm. to say, which is, is in our society seen as an imperfection. It could be a pimple or a dark patch or, or whatever. Mm. But as soon as you start to carry something with pride, mm. It's it's totally different, yeah. and yeah, people I don't agree. see it as an imperfection. Mm. I actually this um, <laughs> start me think about when I went to a high heel course okay. here in Stockholm. Uh, it was uh, a bachelorette party, and uh, I was going to this high heel course, and it was a man from Brazil, mm-hmm. and we were just Swedish uh, young women, and he looked at us and he said, "I mean, no one of you can really walk." And we were like, what? And then he put on the high heels and he walked like, I mean, it was the most fabulous walk I've ever seen. And he said, this is how you should walk. And I will now tell you one thing. My friends in Brazil, they think that uh, Swedish women are so beautiful. They come here and they, because they're not used to uh, the way we look here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they think that all Swedish women are so beautiful until they stand up. Really? Yeah. And then he said, women in uh, in Brazil, even if they weight 150 kilos, they carry their body with pride and they carry themselves with pride, you know. 
Uh, but in Sweden, we we tend to hide, and you know, no one should see me and yeah. stuff like this. And so this reminds me of him because it's uh, it's true. If you see someone who who uh, carries whatever they have with pride, yeah, exactly. it's uh, that makes it unique and beautiful. Yeah. So I think that uh, it doesn't matter what whatever the problem is. Back to this German professor. Yes. You did you meet her? You went to see her or Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So she uh she invited me to do my master's thesis in at the University of Bradford. So mm. she set up um it's a department called the Center of Skin Science. And uh, I I was there and that was, this period in my life was the most interesting uh, period, uh, full stop. It's, uh, I am so happy that I did that. So uh, this master's thesis on Vitiligo, so I did my PhD actually on uh, the beta 2 adrenoreceptors, so the adrenergic system in, in melanocytes, because mm. they are responding. What we know about it, like is that it's very, it could be triggered by stress. Mm. Uh, and the adrenergic system is, of course, involved in, in stress. Yeah, because it's important to say this is an autoimmune disease. Yeah. That's actually increasing over the world. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's it's quite difficult to say if it's increasing because uh, in uh, normally we say that about 0.5 to 2 percent of the world population have it, and it as differs. much as two percent. Yeah, so two mm. percent and even four percent has been reported in India because in India it's very uh, it's very very hard to have it like because it's connected to uh, leprosy. Mm. So, um, because it doesn't, I don't think that it looks the same, but uh, it's there in that Many region. people believe it's, that yeah. you have leprosy. Okay, exactly. so they get scared and uh, try yeah. to uh, yeah. stay away from you. Yeah. And I've had many, met many Indian patients now and they are, they are really pushed away from their family uh, mm. and they are, have difficulties to find a partner, to get married. And, oh, how sad. Yeah. And mm. I've even seen, it has been awful, but I've seen, um, you know, parents that uh, that uh, one, if one of the kids have it like, or they don't want to take that child with them when they go on into parties and stuff like that. So it's it's horrible that the things that are going on in that mm. region. Mm. That's really sad. Yeah. Mm. So um, during my time in Professor Sharda's team, uh, I worked on the adrenergic system and I also worked uh, a lot uh, in the, at the Dead Sea in Jordan because uh, what she had found was that a, a treatment called climatotherapy, which means that you swim in the Dead Sea and you're also exposed for limited uh, amount of irradiation from the sun uh, mm. at the Dead Sea. Uh, really promote skin pigmentation and based on on that and other scientific results she also developed a cream 
which um, which is working to break down hydrogen peroxide, which is oxidative stress that we have a lot of in our skin. Mm. So in vitiligo patches, for example, you can have about one millimolar uh, levels of hydrogen peroxide, which is uh, huge. And it's what, what scientists has been trouble with is that how could even the skin be so nice and intact because you can't see anything else except for that it's actually white there mm. uh, so so it it is it is very difficult to understand how these high levels of hydrogen peroxide can actually exist but this cream is then breaking it down and then we see that by applying this cream um we can uh, get our skin pigmentation back so when i uh, started uh, there and i did my entire phd also in bradford um then i had a lot of um, white patches in my face mm-hmm. uh, around my mouth around my eyes around my ears and within 3 months i gained 90% of the pigmentation back oh wow yeah so that what was what a progress yeah that was amazing actually amazing so because you can't even tell i think that you have vitiligo now if i sit here and look at you no it's, i have a little little bit just uh, under my mouth but that's mm. just a tiny tiny patch left uh, so then then you were happy but you still wanted to work with skin yeah so i actually i wanted to continue uh, my work with vitiligo uh, after my PhD, but uh, as I think many people know, it's uh, it's it's not so many groups that are working with LIGO in uh, in the world, and still not now. I mean, uh, uh, it's still seen as a cosmetic disorder, and it's not very easily easy to get academic grants for research within this area. So. Uh, what I did then was to, I, I moved to Holland um, because I met uh, a Dutch man at that, at that time. And uh, But when I was living in Holland, I was uh, constantly approached by the cosmetic industry. Mm. So, so why did they approach you, do you think? Uh, they approached me because since I had worked on gaining the pigment back, so mm. the mechanisms that actually uh, is responsible for uh, you're getting a tan or you get pigmenta- pigment- pigmentation back in the vitiligo patches. I knew then, uh, I knew basically pigmentation and skin pigmentation. And in the cosmetic industry, what you want to do is to sometimes turn off this pigmentation instead. Mm. So, for example, if you have uh, irregular pigmentation or you have mm. um, more pigment in your face, for example, um like uh, brown patches and solar lentigo and and, uh, things like that. Um, That is, of course, very interesting then for the cosmetic industry. So, and at that time, I I also was in the middle of a separation. So I wanted to move back to Scandinavia and Sweden. And uh, so I took a job actually as as a scientist in a skincare company, uh, and uh, later also working on being responsible for innovation in that uh, in that company. Mm. And this is a huge industry. I mean, uh, we we spend billions and billions of dollars yes. into this industry. Yeah. Um, 
last time I met you, you said that normally interest and knowledge goes hand in hand. But in this case, when it comes to uh, skin, you feel that it's a huge interest and we are willing to put a lot of money on these products. But there is not such a big knowledge. Uh, it's a lack of knowledge within this area among uh, among the people who are buying the products. Yeah, yeah, I, I really think you're right there. Um, and it's it's a very interesting phenomenon what we see. And I, I start to see it, especially when I start to work more on innovation and met more met the consumer. And, um, and it, it is uh, very interesting that we are spending so much money on our skin and we are spending a lot of uh, both money, but also kind of time thinking about our skin. And this is not a new phenomenon, of course, because we have... We have been interested in our skin and in our looks for, you know, thousands of years. So we can even see in text thousands of years ago that uh, the importance of having a clear and nice and uh, even skin tone is is very important for uh, for the perception of beauty. Mm. So it has been, of course, always very in- important. But now... Um, there are also, of course, linked to so many products and a commercial world which we are living in. And uh, and this is something that really caught me that I think within the industry that you are working on, within health, mm. uh, many people are more, are very interested and they are reading things, but there are more uh, scientific-based texts and articles and and books about um, health issues yeah exactly we and within the cosmetic industry very often the companies themselves are owning the communication Mm. and that is very specific phenomena because for example since there are not so many academic groups that are working on uh, skin and skincare and normal skin mm. and what skincare is actually skincare benefits and stuff like that it's uh, and and I think that is totally fine and and good that academic groups are not you know focusing on cosmetic uh, research because uh, maybe our tax money money shouldn't go to that but what happens with this is that the um, companies themselves are they are making the studies uh, internally mm. and uh, they are also publishing the studies yeah. around this themselves mm. so they are owning all the data they're owning the studies and they are owning the communication to, co- to the consumer which is very special mm. yeah so it's very hard for a normal person like me for example yeah. to get like uh, neutral information exactly yeah. and to be totally honest i don't think that we are that i mean <laughs> i think when i see my friends for example or meet people these are super clever people but when it comes to the cosmetic uh, industry we kind of uh, grasp things we believe things that we want to believe and sometimes these things are quite crazy so it's because we really want to be perceived 
as beautiful. Yes. And so we grasp in everything we can get. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I agree. I, I've read your book, The Scandinavian Skincare Bible, The Definite Guide to Understanding Your Skin. And this is also uh, why we invited you here today to uh, make some clarification, because we know that there are many people out there who want to, to know more on this subject. So I could really recommend this book to everyone who wants to know more about your skin. And in your book, you have a few commandments, like mm -hmm. 10 commandments, if I'm not wrong. And I thought that you could guide us in this landscape by going through some of these commandments that you have highlighted in your book. Yeah, sure. So the first is think less is more. And this is interesting because uh, if you look, if you go into a store, you could almost think that more is better mm -hmm. <laughs> because there are so many products. And here you say a long list of ingredients doesn't mean a better product. In fact, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. So tell us. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would like to discuss two points here. So the first one is to understand why do we often see so many ingredients in a skincare products. And this is something that I go through in, in a big part of the book, so inky lists and how to understand them. Mm. Um, but basically <clears throat> what we have, uh, basically in the, the skincare or the cosmetic regulation is uh, as follows, that uh, you should have 30 months, which means almost three years uh, mm. shelf life on the products. That's a really long shelf life. Yeah. And most people doesn't know. So, I mean, it's uh, when you, for example, are in the grocery store, you're very uh, used to look at, okay, when, when is the milk produced? When does it? expire mm. the expiry dates is so vital when you buy something you put in your mouth yeah exactly mm. Mm. but in the in the in this industry we the consumer has never even thought about it often mm. so the only kind of expiry date kind of thing on the package is uh, an open jar symbol Mm. So if yeah, so if a jar is open, you have to throw it away within twelve months. Yeah, exactly, six yeah. or twelve months normally mm. is is this open jar, and with that symbol, it doesn't say anything about when the product was produced. Mm. Uh, it could be your product, for example, that you might buy tomorrow might already be two years. It might have been on a on a storage in, in China, and then it has been transported. And the interesting thing is that there is also no control for temperature uh, during the storage, during the uh, transport, during, for example, in the shelf, where it, you see all these nice products. Often there is a light on top, mm. and then the products are getting very warm. Mm. And then, not to speak about your bathroom, I mean, there it could go up to, to 40 yeah. degrees easily. Yeah. And I always compare this to what could you imagine to 
put your creme fraiche, for example, during this kind of circumstances. No, never. You would always. And, and this is the kind of crazy thing in, in the entire thing that we have set these regulations that, okay, we should always be able to have skincare in room temperature. We should not have to have temperature control, for example, put it in the fridge, uh, etc etc and with that comes a problem and mm. the problem is that we have to have quite many ad- additives mm. and what- so by putting a low standard on these products mm. we have um, so to paint it ourselves into a corner <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly mm. so it would be exactly the same as we would say oh but i want i want to for me it's much simpler to have micro fresh and milk and everything else that I have in my fridge on I want to have it in my cupboard Mm. and I also want to be able to have that on my sofa table for six months yeah that's an interesting uh, uh, experiment to think what would happen if you put your butter for example on the table exactly and uh, go to the the this jar all the time with your hands and put in your face and stuff and put back your hands in the jar yeah what would happen after six or 12 months yeah exactly so yeah so if you would have a crown fresh like that uh, which is uh, has uh, a water content or a liquid content then you would get a, a, a fungal growth very quickly mm. and that I think most people have seen mm. so why don't product. we get that in these uh, yes. skincare products then <laughs> because we have preservative systems uh, and it is quite a lot of preservative systems mm. and this is a, a couple of years into when I worked in the I worked uh, actually almost 10 years in, in the cosmetic industry but a few years in, this was something that I I really thought was um, I, I I thought it was very challenging to work with innovation when we have such a strict and robust and unmovable kind of regulation around this. It's the only innovation you can do if you don't innovate on the lo- logistics, transport, production. You kind of are just doing innovation in certain compounds mm. uh, which you add on to this already existing um, yeah already existing kind of um, regulation which I think needs to be changed mm. so uh, I mean uh, an innovation with this uh, within this area could be to have a fresh skincare product yeah that, exactly uh, that you put in your fridge yeah and that you can use just for a limited period of time. Yeah. And I was thinking about the studies that are being done. Mm-hmm. I mean, the studies, are they done on these products when they have been on the shelves for two, li- uh, two uh, years? And uh, I mean, how are the studies made? Mm. Yeah, so when you do clinical trials on uh, on the product, for example, if you want to know if it's uh, anti-aging, if it uh, reduces the wrinkle size, for example, then you, of course, as a company, you do that on fresh fresh batches. Mm. You don't take products that has already been on the shelf for a long time to do the studies. And this was a second uh, thing that I really questioned during my time in the industry, and that was that 
I mean, within the pharmaceutical industry, we have very strict demands on that you need to control for that a substance is viable during the entire shelf life. So you as a patient should be absolutely sure that you get... Vitamin C, for example. Yeah. Mm. Or if you buy a pharmaceutical product like paracetamol, Mm. you should definitely get uh, 500 grams if you Mm. buy 500 grams. Yeah, by the end of the shelf life. Yeah. But and that's not the case for skincare? Uh, no. So there is no uh, legal demands on companies to actually control for that uh, the customer get the same concentration of substances that are put into the product. Hmm. So that also, I, I think that is something that definitely needs to be changed. I mean, um, considering how much money Mm -hmm. uh, many of these products Mm -hmm. cost, I think it would at least be uh, something that you should, uh, I mean, I I don't think people are thinking about this. And you think if you buy something for for a couple of hundred crowns, maybe even more, you should know that it contains what it says. Exactly. To be containing, you know. Yeah. So strange. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So in a skincare product, we... We very often have 50 to 100 ingredients. and 50 to 100? Yeah. I mean, that's a long ingredients list. That's a very long ingredient <laughs> list. And then it's also very difficult for a consumer to actually understand what it says since many of these uh, terms are in Latin. But um, uh, but anyway, so it's, it's preservatives that it contains. It's, of course, also oils and moisturizing ingredients, which are then good for the skin, but it's also uh, stabilizers, preservative and emulsifiers and viscosity controlling ingredients like thickeners. And <clears throat> this is um, very important to understand that one of the most important functions of our skin is, of course, to protect ourselves from the external world. Yeah. And external factors like no one should be able to hurt us. Nobody should be able to uh, come in and, and hurt our heart, for example. So it's there mm-hmm. as a protection. But it also there is a protection for dangerous com- compounds to come to enter the skin. Mm-hmm. And it's actually very good to keep substances out. And... Um, we will come into that molecular weight and that kind of things, but many of these additives, like preservatives, for example, are very small molecules, mm. and 
they are only there to protect the product. So mm. they should be big, mo- they should be as big as possible. Not so to they can't to- go through the skin, you exactly. mean? Exactly. Mm. But they are uh, very small. So many of these preservative systems are actually uh, skin sensitizers. So they go into our skin and they harm the skin. Then exactly. Instead. Yeah. And they can cause irritation. And what we also see is that we have an increase of uh, certain uh, skin disorders, like, for example, perioral dermatitis, which, uh, which could be directly correlated to the use of different kind of skincare products and and the amount of skincare products. Yeah, because that I read in your book. Yeah. That uh, it's uh, it's more common with skin problems in the parts of the world where we use a lot of skin products than yeah. compared to parts of the world where they don't use skin products. Exactly. And of course, there are not any studies that are actually confirming the reason for for this, if it is due to the cosmetic products that we use, uh, probably it's it's very multifactorial. Uh, so, for example, when you, if you live in in uh, certain uh, areas of the world uh, where it's also more warm and more humid, for example, you often have better skin there. So, it could also be other factors, but. Uh, it would be very interesting to look into the use of overuse of cosmetic products. And that that is already uh, now done. So there was just uh, a couple of months ago an article showing that uh, rosacea, for example, is linked with overuse of clean uh, of cleansers, for example, and overuse of makeup products. Mm. And so so we are getting there, but it's not uh, it's probably quite multifactorial. I'm thinking about uh, many um, many brands say that it's all natural, and um, I mean, is it a common question to you that um, is this cream natural? Because that's what you want to put in your face, isn't it? Yeah, and <laughs> this is we see, of course, is uh, it has been the last, I, I guess, twenty years that we are more and more focused on natural skincare products, and, and now we have all these uh, certifications, like eco certifications, and uh, and many kind of organs that are certifying uh, the products to be totally natural or organic. But in my mind, as a skin scientist, yeah, I've heard. I don't know how many times I've heard uh, the question if if a product is natural or not. And I also have just started a skin podcast with a dermatologist, uh, Petra Kjellman. Uh, and she's also, she's seeing a lot of patients with the common skin disorders like, for example, acne, rosacea, peroral dermatitis. Uh, and the patients are getting there way too late because they have tried everything on the market and especially natural products which then often in these cases are actually enforcing the the problem and instead of seeking medical help straight away and that is definitely a problem because if you have acne, for example, and you don't treat it properly, you can get a lot of scars, which are difficult to then uh, get rid of. Mm. So 
Um, but it, it is definitely, at least in, in Scandinavia, there is a fear of, of um, yeah, buying synthetic products within very often pharmaceutical products are. Uh, and, and you want to kind of treat it with more natural uh, things. Mm. And in my mind as a skin scientist, what is natural for the skin, of course, that is not olive oil or shea butter or coconut oil. The things that are natural for our skin is what our skin is naturally producing itself. Mm. And that's fantastic because our skin is producing so many lipids all on its own. Uh, It's uh, producing even humectants. We have, which we are going to discuss more, we have this uh, layer of bacteria and other microorganisms on our skin. Like our skin microbiome. Yes, Mm. exactly. So the skin microbiome, it's producing a lot of substances and compounds that are in part anti-inflammatory, in part also binds um, water into our skin. So it's, it's very important for our skin health. So... So talking about less is more, Mm -hmm. it's that if you use more products, you might interfere with your natural uh, microbiome that takes care of your skin. Is that so? Yeah, I I would say that you would interfere with not only the microbiome, but also the skin itself. Mm -hmm. And it's also by using many products, you also have that problem with that very many times you have maximum concentrations allowed for, for example, preservatives in one product. If you have then five products or 10 products, you get 10 times the amount of the mm. highest illegally Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. You get 10 times more than the highest recommended daily uh, dose. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, it's very important to, uh, I mean, talking about this, what, what uh, skincare do you use? I use um, I use very minimalistic skincare. So uh, I'm doing uh, or I have a team now um, in um, a platform uh, called Skin on Project, where we actually develop um, yeah very minimalistic skincare products. So I'm using them. Okay, so you uh, every morning uh, tell us your ritual. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, never cleanse in the morning. No, uh, first of all, so there I uh, because uh, our skin has during the night produced a lot of important substances and lipids, uh, which Ooh. I don't want to remove. Mm. So I I just have a shower normally in the morning where I just uh, kind of rinse with water. Mm. Um, and then I have one cream, which is a focus on antioxidants and humectants. And also this cream also contains something called postbiotics. And I'm talking more about that in the book. But it's, it's actually substances that the bacteria of our skin has produced. Mm. So it's this good bacteria. Mm. So it's... Uh, postbiotics and antioxidants and uh, oils and and other lipids that our skin is uh, producing so that i'm using in the morning and in the evening the same cream Mm. and then i cleanse in the evening time Mm. also once a day you cleanse yeah exactly 
And then you do you put a cream on before you after you cleanse? Yeah. So I'm I'm using the same cream <clears throat> morning, morning and, and night. night. Yeah. Okay. And then now we're also developing some additional uh, treatments. So if someone wants to have, um, for example, um, some anti-aging effect or some effect on, for example, uh, skin tone even even out the skin tone, for example, uh, we have. Uh, If you, we are developing some products for that that you also add during the night then mm. so but not I'm not using more than than three products including the cleanser mm. every day talking about different products you just said uh, before that we should pay close attention to molecule size mm. I mean <clears throat> to have any effect active ingredients must be able to penetrate and as you said the preservatives They are small molecules, so they can penetrate. But mm. there are, um, I learned from seeing you last time that uh, collagen, for example, which is a very trendy ingredient mm. that I think every woman above a certain age have heard of, or maybe is even using. You taught me that mole- um, the molecule of uh, collagen is a typical uh, big molecule mm. that can't penetrate our skin. No, exactly. So uh, to for a compound to be to penetrate our skin or the first layer of our skin, stratum corneum, it has to be uh, less than 500 dalton, which is uh, a measure of molecular weight. Meanwhile, then collagen is one of our biggest uh, compounds that we have in our body. Mm. So it's 300,000 dalton. Oh my God. So it's... <laughs> To penetrate the skin, it has to be 500, yeah. but uh, it's 300,000. It's 300,000, yes. Yeah, okay. And hyaluronic acid is also uh, a, a full full length. Uh, hyaluronic acid is about a million Dalton. Oh, wow. So, so it's... And then, of course, you can... You can have other compounds which are smaller that stimulate collagen synthesis. That is a different story. But to buy a cream which uh, on the label is supposed to contain collagen, mm. that is very unnecessary to buy, yeah. I would say. Um, so, yeah, and that this, of course, is not very easy for the consumer to to know, you know, about the molecular weight. But I think... From the company's perspective, I think it's very important to actually focus on honest innovation. So don't spend a lot of uh, money on developing ingredients that you know can anyway not penetrate the skin. And also make sure that you study uh, penetration. So, I mean, we, we don't have time to discuss all this at this time, but... Many times uh, when you test a compound, you only look in a cell culture. So that means that you have taken out the skin cells, you put that, that in a cell culture, you add these substances, and then you get a lot of effects very often. Mm. But it's very important to actually see that you have this effect in, in vivo so that you have applied it uh, in a cream form or the product format that you use, and then you see... Uh, you look at the efficacy uh, because I would say that 
in the market there are many compounds that have never been um, you know tested in the proper ways and they are so less being effective but they have no chance to even uh, penetrate the absolutely first skin layer mm. that seems unnecessary to yeah. buy something that <laughs> can't exactly. even go through the skin mm. yeah i would mm. say so I mean, I go through your Ten Commandments now and mm. I realize that we talked about don't overtreat healthy skin. Mm. And you write that actually remember that not everyone needs skin care. Mm. And I mean, this goes for skin cleansers as well. You write that your skin is smart and it forms a perfect combination of fat and moistures to mm. keep itself soft and healthy. So don't wash that layer off for no good reason. I think this this is important to uh there are many young people who maybe don't need skincare products but put a fortune yeah. on it. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I mean, for example, I mean we are sitting now in Stockholm and in, in Scandinavia especially and probably also the UK and the northern European countries. Uh you you can definitely benefit of a moisturizer for example during the winter time mm. and um, of course we shouldn't go to bed with makeup for example it's important to cleanse that off but something that I have uh, noticed and kind of reflected upon during my career is that uh, you know if skincare products would improve your skin dramatically that means that women would have a lot better skin quality compared to men since men are not using that much amount that's a good point and looking at skin and analyzing skin i have not seen that and sometimes even the opposite Mm. so so i think that is kind of a good conclusion that uh, overuse of skincare products is always not uh, it might even thing. harm you. Exactly. And to to fully kind of describe this and understand this, we need to understand how our skin is built. And I'm talking a lot about that in the skin in the book. And for example, we have a very important immune cell in the skin, in the upper layer, which is called a Langerhans cell, and it functions as a it looks like an octopus with the long arms and it uh, it discovers and it um, it notices substances that they are not used to mm. so then if they are not used to something and react and kind of turn on the entire immune system then you get irritation and skin sensitization so i would say that if you have sensitive sensitive skin, and many people at the moment are reporting a sensitive skin, like 50 to 70% of all European women wow. uh, actually describe themselves that they have sensitive skin. So if, if so, be very, very careful with what you use. For example, use minimalistic products with uh, shorter inkies, try to avoid fragrances, try to avoid... Uh, specific preservative systems and we are describing those more in the book Um, and uh, avoid also certain UV filters etc so 
It's important to, yeah, to exclude many compounds, especially when you are uh, bothered with sensitive skin. Talking about uh, avoiding products and UV skin, you still think that everyone should wear sun protection during uh, during the part of the year when we're exposed to sun. That goes for everyone, yeah. Yeah, this is this is a very interesting discussion because first of all, UV uh, light and the sun is definitely the most con- contributing factor for skin cancer. That mm. is scientifically proven now. Uh, but it's also definitely the most contributing factor to premature skin aging. Mm. So if you, for example, compare your the two parts of your underarm, so the one that is uh, the upper part of your underarm that, that is, is exposed, exposed yeah. to the sun, compared to the to the under, under one, there is very different uh, skin status. Yeah. The the and the one that's not exposed to the sun, it's almost like a baby skin. Exactly, it's and so I see that. I look, nice. Yeah, I look at you now. It looks really like a baby. Yeah. And the other part on uh, on me at least, it's uh, a bit uh, it I have like uh, a few brown spots yeah. and uh that doesn't look good. No, no. Just, no. <laughs> no exactly. So I should have um, had long sleeves. Yeah, but on you, you can't almost see a difference. But if you look at an older person, you can mm. definitely see yeah. it. And also, for example, uh, if you compare breast skin on women, that yeah. is very often photoprotected. It's totally different to, yeah, for example, than the arm or the hands. Mm. So it's, uh, I mean, it's very obvious that the sun is definitely the most contributing factor to, to, uh, yeah, we say premature skin aging, but that means more wrinkles, more disturbed pigmentation and also drier skin. Mm. So in that way, sunscreen and especially also protecting yourself to the sun with clothes, for example, sitting in the shade, uh, is very important so not to be exposed to the strong sun mm. uh, and of course for example this is very different in different parts of the world so in Australia where I mean I, I normally speak about UV index so uh, UV index is a measure of how strong the sun is and in Australia it's very strong mm. very uh, often uh, during the entire year. Meanwhile, in Sweden here, for example, we have extremely low UV index in October to February. And then I would say that uh, it's, it's absolutely unnecessary to put sunscreen on or even day creams with with UV filters because um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's so extremely low uh, UV exposure. But then when we come into here in Sweden, for example, when we come into uh, February, March or March, especially to September, uh, we can go up to UV index uh, approximately at six, seven, which is very high compared to then around zero in November. Mm. And and that is also uh, important to say that there is nothing 
good with UV filter, uh, UV filters or sun protection factors. It's nothing that uh, if if uh, you don't if you are not exposed to the sun. There you shouldn't use it. No, exactly. No. It's totally unnecessary. But I mean, uh, you and I are quite light in mm. our skin color. Is this, um, I mean, I- imagine if you're a bit darker, should you also wear UV protection then when you're in the sun? Yeah, uh, it's, um, we have this uh, Fitzpatrick skin type. So I think that you are probably between a two and three and I'm uh, definitely a three. Uh, and then if you have darker skin types like five and six, for example, I mean, there is a study showing that if you compare, for example, very light or fair skinned people, so skin type uh, one or two. Mm. Uh, and these, There are six skin types yeah, in exactly. total. Yeah. So one and two, <clears throat> there you say more Celtic origin, so England and Ireland. Mm. Uh, and uh, very often it's also associated with uh, red hair, freckles. Um, and then compared to then uh, five and six, which is uh, brown or black pigment, and you are not very easily burned in the sun. So if you compare those two skin types, it's about you can be 60 times longer in the sun when you are a darker skin type mm. compared to this very light. But still you can't be in the sun forever. No. I mean, still it's important to protect yourself. Exactly. Mm. So so you should protect yourself. But yeah, it's uh, a person that is having a darker skin type can anyway be in the sun more longer time without being burned. Mm. Yeah. And it's also compare if you... Look at, for example, these uh, fair-skinned individuals. Uh, they have there is a higher risk of uh, getting melanoma, for example, for example, and it's mm. especially in when we have seen this movement from I don't know 1700 or 1800 from from Ireland and the UK to to Australia. Um, we also haven't adapted to, we haven't had this evolution yet that we are getting darker. So, yeah. Mm. Another commandment in your book, which I think it's a little bit extra important, is live a healthy life. Take exercise and enjoy nature, fresh air and being together with other people. Sleep well. I mean, I... On the back cover of your book, I read that if we knew more about our skin, we would have probably spent uh, less on these products and spent more time focusing on getting enough sleep and having uh, having a lot of uh, carrots, for example. Yeah, and, and that is, of course, uh, I mean, when you think about it, uh, our skin is an organ exactly like the same as our heart, our lungs or our gut, for example, uh, it's, it's really an organ um, mm. and it's important to, to look as, at it as an organ. Mm. And most of our, of our organ needs exactly the same thing. Mm. So our skin also needs a healthy life. Mm. Our skin needs a good, uh, good nutritional health Mm. because everything that we put in our bodies um, 
is actually also transported to our other organs. So, for example, zinc is very important for our skin. And when we look at the amount of skin zinc, mm. the mineral that we eat, we can actually found as much as 6% of our uh, zinc that we eat in the skin. Mm, and wow. then the rest is kind of transferred to other organs. Mm. But uh, our skin is really absorbing the minerals and the nutritional factors that uh, that it needs. Mm. And um, And then, of course, other health factors like, for example, sleep is also very important for the skin because we are also during this time, you know, when we sleep, we are producing melatonin and melatonin is a compound that is also important for our skin health. Mm. Um, I didn't know that. I know it's important for sleep, but yeah. I didn't know it's important for uh, for skin. It has actually been uh, studied as an anti-aging uh, compound. Mm, wow. Yeah. So so that is a direct link, link with that sleep. Actually, if we get sufficient amount of sleep, we might look younger. Mm. Wow. So so that is very important. And also what I think is super interesting is that the skin is the only only way for us to release, one of the only ways to release oxytocin. Mm. And that is the um, hormone that makes us relax, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I read about it when I was pregnant uh, oh, the right. first time that... Uh, to make the body release oxytocin is very important. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And that is so important for our well-being. And I just actually read a study now that, uh, I mean, of course, we don't get so much when we can't touch each other now during the corona pandemic, mm. that uh, this is actually affecting, of course, our yeah, oxytocin levels yeah. and that we can be much more stressed and uh, it really affects our well-being. And I mean, I think most people can just remind themselves of the feel when someone is massaging them, mm. their neck, for example. I love that. Yeah, me too, or the back. But touch isn't just a momentary source of comfort and pleasure. So in fact, it has been shown to have a wide range of health benefits. It's, for example, lowers the blood pressure and brings the pulse rate down, it relieves pain, it boosts the immune system, and it makes us feel less stressed and more sociable. Mm. And we can even hunger for touch, just as we hunger for food. Mm. And this is what we normally call our skin hunger, so mm. skin hunger for this touch. I never heard of skin hunger. I love it. <laughs> um, then you write about Treat your skin microbiome with respect. And um, I mean, we at Food Pharmacy, we usually talk about uh, don't forget to feed your good bacteria in your gut because they make, uh, they boost your immune system. Among other things, they have several uh, important role in our bodies. But talking about skin microbiome, what is that? Yes. So... The skin microbiome. I mean, I'm also super interested in the in the gut microbiome. So I read your book uh, years ago, mm. and uh, 
in one way, the microbiome and the science about both the gut microbiome and the skin microbiome is actually why I left the skincare industry. Mm. So, first of all, what is our skin microbiome? Well, it's exactly the same as our gut microbiome. So, it's a skin flora mm. uh, with all the microorganisms that we have on our skin. We have uh, thousands of different species mm. living on our skin. And uh, these are very important for us mm. since they are producing a lot of compounds uh, that are important for the immune system in the skin and also anti-inflammatory compounds and also compounds that are actually trapping water within our skin so we get a moist and healthy skin. Mm. And um, what I uh, discovered um was that with all these additives that we put in our skincare products, which we have discussed, you know, during the long shelf life and this kind of additives are needed, that could disturb the skin microbiome. Mm. So there are studies now showing that five of our most commonly used preservative systems that, in, that are antimicrobial, uh, they are actually disturbing our commensal skin flora and that means the good bacteria the the, the bacteria that are uh, with us that are living with us on the skin wow that's not good at all that's not good and what uh, this has been also associated to is uh, the normal skin problems or skin disorders that we see in the western world and that is rosacea acne and eczema especially mm. uh, all these diseases has been uh, now related to a disturbed microbiome in the skin. Mm. Wow. So, so that is basically why I, uh, why also the book is is fourth um, part of the book is actually uh, talking about skin microbiome and uh, postbiotics, prebiotics, and probiotics. Um, but uh, it's also a foundation for me to actually take this initiative uh, which we talked about before so the skin known project which uh, which works on bothly trying to help uh, manufacturers but also develop skincare options that are not antimicrobial mm. that sounds great i mean because you write that the gut and the skin are connected via the bloodstream, mm. and they are in constant contact. Mm. So it's not hard to imagine that uh, what you what goes through your gut, as you said, with the sink, yeah. uh, your skin will, uh, will have a, a slice of that yeah. also. Exactly, mm. exactly. Talking about the Skinome project, your project, mm -hmm. the 10th commandment in your book is to learn more. The skin is our largest organ. And needs consideration. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of articles, the latest you can find on pubmed.com, but you could also follow you on skinonproject.com. Yes. Yeah. And you have an Instagram account also. Yeah, skinonproject. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about skinonproject. Yeah, skinonproject is, is a platform which I founded because I truly believe that. The, the skincare industry needs to be transformed. We need to put to develop products which are putting our skin uh, first and foremost. Mm. And uh, coming from a dermatological background, 
I'm used to develop solutions that solve skin problems. Mm. But entering the skincare industry, I noticed that very often it was the other way around. The focus was to rather uh, solve problems related to marketing and communication, log- logistics, or more the sensory aspects of the product, mm. how the product feels, for example. But I think the most important thing that we can do uh, for a skin is, of course, to put that need foremost mm. and in that case to uh, compromise on other things like what we discussed now shelf life mm. so not to come never to compromise on the skin health mm. and that is why uh, I started this so I'm so lucky to be surrounded by people that uh, and a network that uh, truly believe in this vision as well mm. Um and a vision where your skin is always put forward first and uh, on this we will never compromise. Uh, instead we compromise on shelf life and storage um, and uh, we are also with this platform focusing on science and innovation within the skin microbiome. Mm, wow. Sounds like a great project. <laughs> Thank you, I hope so. <laughs> so check out skinnomproject.com and uh, I'm so grateful for having you here, Johanna. Today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fantastic to be here and it's always mm. so nice to meet you. I always get so inspired and I always get in a very good mood. Oh, that's which, good. Yeah. That's good. And I always um, uh, think about how to take care of my skin. <laughs> <laughs> you have such a beautiful skin, so I always sit and look at your uh, fantastic skin. I, I need to try this. No, uh, you have cream. really nice skin, you too. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much. You have listened to the Food Pharmacy Show with Lina Nartby and Mia Klase, joined by special guest Johanna Gilbro. The podcast is edited by me, Sebastian Ring, and I've also composed all the music. For more Food Pharmacy content, visit foodpharmacyco.com and follow us on Instagram, food underscore pharmacy. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.